Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Saturday, September 17th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. The trains are moving after a strike scare at the Labor Department. It did avert a disaster. I mean, you're talking about it would cost the economy $2 billion a day if they stopped all rail traffic and put everything on trucks. And shutdown fears in Congress center on an energy permitting promise. But here we've lost another week in Congress. They're probably going to run this right up to the deadline. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Never underestimate the power of pasta. After 20 hours in a room in the Labor Department building with what we're told was a break for an Italian food dinner, representatives from the major freight rail companies and the unions making up their workforces struck a tentative agreement on a new contract that avoids a strike that would have shut down the nation's rail lines this week. President Biden hailed the accomplishment in a Rose Garden speech and offered credit to administration officials who helped get the two sides to an agreement, including Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. A strike would have been an economic disaster, cutting off a major arm of the U.S. supply chain, spiking prices on all kinds of goods, and even stranding some commuter rail passengers. Fox Business White House correspondent Edward Lawrence covered the marathon session and how it could have longer-term impacts for the president and labor unions and the price of a lot of things you buy. Yeah, and it was a lot of arm-twisting, a lot of influencing that went went on inside that room. I mean, they made the agreement, or they, they finally agreed to it at 5 a.m. in the morning after an all-night session. Uh, so this was, and it did avert a disaster. I mean, you're talking about it would cost the economy $2 billion a day if they stopped all rail traffic and put everything on trucks going some going wherever they're going to go. And, well, and, and it's not just freight. This would have had a big impact on, on passenger rail, too. Passenger rail, but also cars. That's a big yeah. one. Mary Barra, the uh, CEO of GM, came out and said that they would immediately, within a week, have to shut down some of their plants because they couldn't get parts for some of the cars. But yes, it also affects passenger rail uh, going on the rail. I mean, so that's the, I mean, this was, I know that President Biden had called into these sessions a couple of times, and I guess what his message was, failure is not an option. Like, you cannot strike. Right. Well, and especially now, politically. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, politically, that would have been I mean, it, with, with some of the, the improvements that have happened in the supply chain, some of the improvements that are happening in gas prices, this would have, I assume, wiped all of that out. Not only that inflation, you would have seen products, uh, scarcities of products on shelves, w- widespread scarcity of products on shelves. Yeah, people would, would be up in arms. Let's just say that. Do we know how important that pasta dinner was? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what kind of pasta it was. I, I mean, obviously, this was it speaks, uh, intense. Though, to, I mean, it speaks, yeah to like what they were there 20 hours yeah 20 hours on, on the final but this was a two-year process mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's important to remember they started two years ago and in july the president uh put a committee together to try and help formulate ideas so this was the end of a two-year process but yeah that last 20 hours was probably really tough it's always it's always the last mile they say right yes. so i mean and and 
the reality here is there is some politics at play here, too. I know the president could have taken maybe some more aggressive action, uh, wanted to let the negotiations play out, I assume, because labor is a big part of his political coalition. Well, and that's part of it. So you had labor unions, which back him 100 percent. But then you also had the economy, which 89 Fox News polling shows 89 percent of Americans are either somewhat concerned or uh, I'm sorry, very concerned or extremely concerned about inflation. Uh, so we have 89 percent of Americans saying that, uh, you know, that is a huge that would be pushed by a rail strike. You had 30 percent of the nation's cargo would stop. So when you have supply and demand, you have all the demand is still there. The supply is not, prices would, would go through the roof uh, almost overnight. I know that this now has to be ratified by the actual yeah. workers, the, the members of the union. There are 12 unions at play here. All of them have to agree. Um, is there confidence? I know that's a several weeks long process. Is there confidence from the Labor Department about that process? Yeah, Marty Walsh told Fox Business, yes, they believe they can push it over the finish line. It is going to be a very difficult process. You've got to get all of the unions associated with this. And we're talking about 116,000 union workers all have to agree to this. If they don't, there is a provision in this that... Uh, stops them from uh, striking immediately. So there, there's a several week buffer, so to speak, which pushes us past the midterm elections, which is a big deal. But so so politically, and a lot of the holiday stuff too, and the holiday yeah. stuff, yes, which. Which was, I know again, last year we were talking about <laughs> not being able to find any presents. <laughs> right. <laughs> they want, they don't want, they do not want those headlines again about right. people not being able to find presents. Exactly um, right. You know, let's talk a little bit about, well, I guess, what's in this. The big, the, my understanding, and I didn't follow this as closely as you did, is that the unions wanted um, some uh, leniency as it relates to medical leave. Medical leave, right. They didn't want repercussions if they took call, took sick days. Um, yeah, there are some things in this agreement that are not in any other agreements. And that in itself is going to cause a problem because other unions are going to look at yeah. this and go, hey, wait a minute. I want this too. And this goes back to inflation. You know, you're going to see a 24% increase in pay for workers over the next five years. 14% of that comes immediately once this is signed. Because there's uh, back pay from the last two because years. Because there's back yeah. pay from the last yeah. two years. But that pushes inflation. That means that anything that goes on the railways becomes more expensive. The railway, railroads are going to pass that cost on to the people that put things on the railways. And then those companies are going to push that to regular consumers. So it is going to be inflationary down the road. And then you have, if you have other unions looking at this and saying, hey, wait a minute, we need a big pay raise. We need to have uh, unpaid leave that's protected inside a contract. Uh, then, then you're going to have a problem down the road for other unions. How did the I mean, I know that the, the government, the, the administration was sort of like a neutral arbiter here. I mean, was that their role was just to sort of make sure that nobody left the room? Yeah. By, and by law, that's all they can do. Okay. Uh, the, the president cannot stop this. Yeah. Um, he would have to ask, as you know, he would have to ask Congress yeah. um, in order to stop this. And there wouldn't be bipartisan support for something like that. So, yes, all the all the president could do with his administration through Marty Walsh would sit down, put them in a room and say, hey, don't leave. Lock the doors, so to speak. <laughs> Serve them some food. Put on the lights <laughs> yeah, to, to turn up the lights. <laughs> as high as they I mean, go. because the president really did come out. He celebrated this a little bit. Yeah. This is a win. I mean, I don't know if this is a win for the administration. Certainly, the feat would have been catastrophic for the administration. Well, and he needed a political win. I mean, yeah. look at the mm -hmm. images that he had this past week. Uh, you know, he was celebrating uh, the Inflation Reduction Act on a day that inflation, uh, core yeah. inflation without food and energy costs, went up for the first time in five months. Uh, and that shows the Federal Reserve that inflation is entrenched. And yet he's celebrating inflation. 
inflation. Let's change gears a little bit because the president this week also traveled to Detroit for the North American International Auto Show, which is a huge event. And I know Fox Business is always big on the auto show. I love an auto show. I don't cover them from a news perspective. I just like to look at the cars. But it signals... Uh, you know, the president's vision here that, that it's not just this administration that seems to be, to be behind this transitioning to EVs, but a lot of the automakers themselves are talking about a transition over time to more electric vehicles. Well, and they are, but they're they're taking cues from the administration and also hoping for these these tax credits. I mean, they they're let's be frank, they're looking for money and they're getting money uh, or incentive in order to go this direction. Yes, we were always headed this direction, but the this administration is forcing it kind of down our throat. We're not we're not quite there yet. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine we California, you know, one week says um, you know, we're going to have brownouts if you don't uh, stop plugging in your electric car and then the week before is when they said we're going to go all electric and over sell only electric cars years, over right? the yeah, next 15 yeah, years. Yeah. So <laughs> so you see the problem. Only 5% of the cars, just over 5% well, of the cars in the U.S. are electric that are sold. I mean, Can you imagine if that number is 30% and our electric grid just can't handle I mean, it right now? And, and so I think that's what the president's trying to, to sort of roll out, right, is that we do not have the infrastructure right now right. to meet the goals that he has set forward. That's correct. Um, what is the plan to meet that demand? Right. And I, and I think right now they sort of are hoping uh, that's going to happen down the road. Now, they're making investments. The bipartisan yeah. infrastructure bill uh, puts investments uh, going forward. That they announced today, what, millions of dollars for EV charging stations across, what, 34, 35 states. Exactly. Exactly. So EV charging stations, they're going to add, um, you know, 100. I got to get the, the numbers up here for that. But I, I had the numbers. That, <laughs> no, you always have the numbers uh, at Fox the numbers Business. That, oh, yeah. always have the so, numbers. So, the, yeah. Uh, for EV char- charging stations, they're putting $7.5 billion you know, mm. out to build out these charging stations across the United States. But the fact is that's going to be a 10 or 15 year process because it can't just happen overnight. And then you've got to source the materials, which travel over railways mm. in some case, <laughs> to get to those factories to yeah. build those. Um, so, so we don't have the infrastructure here, but this bill is trying to get there. However, the president's timeline of 2035 is pretty aggressive when we don't have the, the, the foundation there yet. Is there a workforce that can turn this over? You mean the people trained to do it? I mean, yeah. I mean, because right now you have a lot of folks. I mean, I I don't know enough about it. Is it vastly different to build an EV versus uh, a traditional uh, gas-fueled automobile? I mean, it is different, but you can train workers. And that, yeah. that those programs are happening as we speak. You've got um, GM investing in it. You've got Tesla investing in those programs mm-hmm. to help people learn how to build those EVs. Um, it is different. It's it's very different. There's less moving parts in an electric vehicle than there are in, in a gas-powered vehicle. Um, but the cost is just uh, prohibitive for some people. You're talking yeah. about $60,000 for an electric car. You mentioned the auto show. The president got in a, a $70,000 Cadillac and drove you know a couple of feet. But how many Americans could afford that? You know, I looked personally at getting an electric car for my family Mm -hmm. and it just pushed it. What I needed with space, I have a child, it pushed it out of the realm that I could afford. Have the automakers talked about bringing that price point down? Is that is that a realistic goal? Yeah. Listen, we can make these affordable for most middle income families. We've heard from GM that they are trying to roll out products that are sort of lesser of cost. Uh, but they're also, these automakers are also hoping for incentives from, mm-hmm. from the government. So they so get for every subsidies. car they sell, they get they get subsidies. Something from the government, and then that, that is passed on to the Offset consumer. Offset the cost, yeah. And through technology. I mean, as technology increases, mm-hmm. as the product becomes, or as the, the need for these products become more uh, ubiquitous, then the cost will come down.
I guess the last part of this equation is how this is also I mean, this is the midterm messaging, right? You expect the president. I, I guess there's not another major auto show between now and November. <laughs> but I mean, are these the types of trips you expect this president to take? Yeah. The messaging is transition and that we're mm-hmm. transitioning the economy to, to a more electric, electric green, whatever to electric you want to call green, it. Right. Yeah. So that's one transition. The other transition is to the stable growth they're talking mm-hmm. about, um, which is just basically growth under 2%. But yeah, and this is the messaging we're going to see from this president going forward. All right. Edward Lawrence, uh, a lot to talk about between now and November. <laughs> and listen, the, the polling we saw this week shows that inflation and the economy remain just, uh, I guess, issues 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, right. 1E for voters. Right. So, it, it's the jobs or it's the economy, stupid. Right? I've heard it's that the, before. Yeah. Yeah, you've heard that somewhere. Right. Right. <laughs> Edward Lawrence, thanks so much. Thanks, Jared. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. President Biden and a lot of congressional Democrats celebrated this week at a recess postponed ceremony for the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Too often we confuse noise with substance. Too often we confuse setbacks with defeat. Too often we hand the biggest microphones to the critics and cynics who delight in declaring failure while those committed to making real progress through the hard work of governing. Republicans delighted in pointing out what they say is an awful lot of irony in celebrating a law called the Inflation Reduction Act. On the same day, the latest economic data showed inflation up in the month of August and prices more than 8 percent higher year over year. So the, um, they may be taking a victory lap at the White House, but I can tell you one thing, the American people are not, because they are feeling the direct impact of this every single day. Senate Republican Whip John Thune also pointed out a 13 percent rise annually for food. At any rate, the Democrats' bill is law, at least most of it. Let's go back when West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin was not yet on board with the plan. One of the concessions he won was a side deal of sorts with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to expedite permitting for energy projects like pipelines. Schumer says that provision will be part of a must-pass short-term spending bill later this month. Dozens of Democrats, progressives running on climate change initiatives, don't like that. So a provision of the Inflation Reduction Act has become a flashpoint in a debate over keeping government open. Confused? You may not be alone. That's why we chat most weeks with my colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. We knew that that provision was going to be in the spending bill. That's what it was, you know, that's what was said back in late July, 1st of August. Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, you talk about apoplectic. He was certainly that saying that they will not get any Republican support for this bill, putting that provision uh, into a spending bill uh, because he viewed it as a, as a buy off a political scheme. Republicans, frankly, were probably a little bit mad because they kind of own the energy space, dominate you know the question of permitting and drilling and everything else. And so when you suddenly have Democrats swoop in and say, hey, guess what? We're going to also have drilling. 
uh, you can see where Republicans might feel that they lost the issue on that. And so they were willing to say, we're going to oppose this on the, uh, the bill to fund the government in September. Why is that important? Well, you need at least 10 Republican senators mm-hmm. to clear a filibuster in the Senate. If you have all 50 Democrats going along, you need to get to 60 votes somehow. Well, you, so also need all, you also need all Democrats. And yes, they don't have that because you and, had and Bernie, that's where Sanders Bernie Sanders say, I'm not going to vote yes. for a CR that has per- drilling permitting in it. Yeah. And then you had these progressives in the House. Now, yeah. what I find interesting is that the House has been back you know, for a few days now. Uh, Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, had indicated and the, the, the general plan was for the House to pass this week some sort of an interim spending bill to keep the government open. That is not going to happen, apparently. Uh, when you talk to um, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, twice in two weeks, I have said, is this going to be in the bill? And he has said yes. He's insisted mm-hmm. that that mansion provision is going to be in the bill. You would need a wider range of Republicans to come together if you're losing Democrats on the left and right, just not in the Senate, but in the House of Representatives. And when you talk to Rosa DeLauro, who is the chair of the Appropriations Committee, the Democrat from Connecticut, I spoke to her uh, and she was like, well, we're working through it. It's not sure. You talk to a lot of Democrats. They said, well, we don't know what the mansion deal is. I mean, do they not read the papers? Uh, It's kind of hard to believe that they don't know what this is. And that's what's so striking is that people are like, well, well, what is it? You know, because well, nobody's right. still need st- still seen the text of this. And that's what I was going to ask. Right. Because even some conservative groups, the Republican study committee, for instance, it said, listen, we want to see what this is about before we weigh in on whether or not we're for or against this permitting reform. How detailed was the agreement between Manchin and Schumer? This was basically a cocktail napkin. Um, you so know, there aren't scribbled specifics. there. Yeah, exactly. Of course, there are specifics. Uh, you know, there's this uh, pipeline that would service uh, Virginia and West Virginia that's very important sure. there. I thought it was very interesting that Shelley Moore Capito, the Republican senator from West Virginia, uh, as soon as the, the Senate came back the past few days, she put out her own uh, permitting plan, basically, so Republicans weren't getting politically eaten alive on this issue. Uh, to say this is what our our plan is, you know, just don't put something in a CR. Let's do a regular bill. Let's follow the regular order, uh, something like that. You know, so we don't know. Now, again, you're going to start to have time slip off the clock here, which is always the case in September. The government is funded through 11.59.59 p.m. on September 30th. The plan is to do an interim spending bill to get them through probably early to mid-December, uh, maybe a little bit longer. We'll see. And again, you need to have that mix of votes. Now, there could be other provisions in this. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, he has indicated that he wants a bill that is as clean as possible. And a couple of weeks ago, I asked Mitch McConnell, does that include money for Ukraine? Does this include money for monkeypox and, you know, COVID, you know, the next Mm -hmm. round of therapeutics and testing and and vaccines and so forth? Uh, We don't know. But here we've lost another week in Congress. They're probably going to run this right up to the deadline. You have the Jewish holidays approaching sometimes Mm -hmm. because, you know, Congress is usually out of session when they hit. Um, That's going to be a problem here, uh, you know, trying to get this all done by the end of the month. And this is really the only thing that they have to do. But to that point, they need to pass a CR. They don't necessarily need to pass this um, uh, regulate this um, energy uh, agreement. They don't have to pass 
these other, you know, whether it's funding for monkeypox, COVID, uh, Ukraine, they could push that to a more broad spending agreement later in the year, right? They could, or the defense authorization bill, or, you know, there's the, other, the Schumer, there are a few other trains leaving the station, but Schumer has been insistent that this is going to be on the CR. Is that just because he wants it off the table? Because there's nothing, the, the, the agreement that they reached in the IRA doesn't really, I mean, one of the, the complaints about it at the time was like, this is, you know, th- th- this may not happen and, and this wasn't a great deal if you wanted to ensure that this reform got done. But there was nothing in it that said you have to vote on it by X date. No, no. As far as we know, but, you know, and again, they don't exactly, you know, publish this uh, agreement between Manchin and Schumer in blood, you know, been notarized and handed out to the press corps. So we don't know what that what that is. I asked that because you you heard Schumer say it again this week. Listen, this is part of the IRA. It needs to get done. But it's not part of the IRA. It is a handshake agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And, And but but also, if you are the majority leader and you made a promise to Joe Manchin, who the Democrats courted for months to get them on board with some version of Build Back Better. Now we have the IRA, okay, it deals with climate, it deals with tax policy, it Mm -hmm. deals with health policy, many of the things that Democrats wanted, a social spending bill. Mm -hmm. And Joe Manchin got some of the things he wanted. If I were Joe Manchin and they backed off of that after that I finally, you know, voted for, quote, their bill, well, you can imagine. I mean, you can see the steam coming out of his ears. That's the problem right there. Let's switch gears a little bit um, to more sort of uh, election year kind of uh, fights, because uh, it seemed that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, caught a lot of members of his own party off guard this week when he rolled out um, abortion related legislation, essentially a nationwide prohibition on performing abortion procedures after 15 weeks of pregnancy uh, has some exceptions in it. Uh, but. Um, is not a debate that it seemed like many of his uh, colleagues, at least in the Senate, wanted to, to have right now. What What is the timing of this? What sort of it was the catalyst here for, for Senator Graham? It's not going to come up right away unless the Democrats, for some reason, and I could see this politically. They may want to have the before vote. Them. Yeah, yeah, they, they put, yeah. put it on the floor to get people on the record and say, you see how right wing that Republicans are here. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, had a really good line where she was talking, you know, trying to contrast Republicans, uh, saying that they were so extreme in their position, their pro-life position saying that they thought that conception began at the candlelight dinner the night before. Uh, you know, so so Democrats, obviously, they've been pushing this abortion issue since the Dobbs decision back at the end of June. So this plays into their hands. Uh, if the election is going to be about abortion, and we don't know that yet, we mm-hmm. have some indications that, uh, you know, so, some arrows are pointing in the Democrats' direction here. Uh, that might certainly help them. So why did Lindsey Graham step in it? You have the Republican Party now having to defend this. And I might add at a day on a day that the Democrats were already stepping in it because they had a big event yeah. at the White House on the IRA, again, Inflation Reduction Act, at the same time that the government came out with a new inflation figure, which wasn't very good. But the abortion conversation trumped everything that the Democrats were doing. So so Lindsey Graham's supposed misstep, you know, superseded the supposed misstep by the Democrats now. Let me take you down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Lindsey Graham may be playing multi-level chess Mm. because, you know, you've had some extreme people on the right say he's trying deliberately to get the Republicans to lose the Senate, et cetera. It is not exactly clear if Mitch McConnell 
could hang around as minority leader if they are, in fact, in the minority. He did not give them the minority. There are certainly factions on the right who want to dump him, regardless of mm-hmm. his his parliamentary expertise, getting three you know, of uh, President Trump's justices confirmed onto the Supreme Court. There are, are certain quarters where there's not a lot of love for Mitch McConnell. And we mm-hmm. also don't know what what his plans might be. Well, do they then go to John Thune, the Republican uh, whip in the Senate, or somebody like John Barrasso or John Cornyn from Texas? He's been talked about as well. Uh, some Republicans don't like John Cornyn because he uh, you know, worked with Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, on the, on the gun bill a few months ago. So everybody has baggage. Well, Lindsey Graham is always seemingly in the middle of everything on Capitol Hill, period. Yes. <laughs> so... If you have problems with a potential leadership issue, whether it be right away or a couple of years down the road, I mean, Mitch McConnell will go away at some point. Mm -hmm. And so if you're Lindsey Graham, well, you have really, you know, beefed up your bona fides with the right and, you know, pro-life Republicans here with this move. Again, is that the best opportune time? Eh, Unclear. I Uh, mean, if it's something that might happen right away, yes. I mean, it was just trees. It was just fascinating because obviously Republicans have said, listen, after the the Dobbs decision, this is up to the states. And that's where this debate should be. Um, You had uh, McConnell asked about uh, Lindsey Graham's proposal, and he basically said that. He said, well, I think the majority of my conference, Republicans in the Senate, uh, believe that this should be a state issue. Um, So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of support uh, even amongst Republicans for Graham's proposal. And, and I know you and I have talked as well that, it, you know, Republicans issues, number one, two and three are the economy, the economy and the economy. Right. And Republicans obviously like from a policy standpoint, what came out of the Supreme Court earlier this mm-hmm. year, from a political standpoint, they gave the Democrats an issue. Uh, this is where secretly, politically, both sides kind of liked where the abortion issue was. They could kind of raise money off mm-hmm. of it, you know, mm-hmm. make a lot of noise off of it, but it never moved for decades. Now yeah. it's moved, and this is why this is an issue that, that favors the Democrats in the midterms. might not be enough, uh, but it certainly has changed the contours of the midterms of this year. Well, shifting the status quo is always going to have a shift in the political landscape. Yes, of um, course. Before the weekend is out, Chad, I, I wanted to hear, I know that you, you were teasing this to me before he we went on the air. You have a King Charles III story uh, that deals with uh, one of your other favorite subjects, Scotch. That's right. The Queen would spend about you know four months a year at Balmoral Castle, which is in the Scottish Highlands. She would go there as a young girl, love going to the Scottish Highlands. And Balmoral Castle was acquired by the royal family in the mid-19th century. And down the road was a distillery called Loch Nagar. It's now called Royal Loch Nagar. Well, Queen Victoria liked the scotch so much that she gave it a royal warrant, meaning, meaning you produce these special products for the crown. It could be anything. It could be ham. It could be you know, food, liquor, whatever. But you produce these things for the crown, among other, other, other places as well. So she really liked Royal Loch Nagar. That distillery is still there today. It is in the shadow of Balmoral Castle. So we're having a changing of the guard, a changing of the drams here in the royal family. Prince Charles does not necessarily cotton to these more lighter malts, which is what the famous grouse is, or Royal Loch Nagar, which is very uh, creamy in in texture, and there's a lot of finesse to that. Um, He prefers a smokier malt. So let's go to the southwest. Let's go to the Whiskey Isle, Isla which is known for smoky, peaty malts. There is a distillery there called Lafroig. Guess what? They also have a royal warrant at Lafroig, 
awarded in 1994 by the Prince of Wales. This is, you know, mm. King Charles. And so he's been there several times over the years. And the 10 is what you usually see. But the 15, if you can find it, that is his preferred dram. So rather than Scottish malts, uh, Scottish Highland malts being uh, the favorite of the royal family now, let's go out to Isla. Lefroig is the favorite dram of King Charles III. Well, now we know what to serve if he follows uh, in his mother's footsteps and gives an address to a joint uh, meeting of Congress. Absolutely. We'll, we'll bring some in for him and serve it up uh, in the Speaker's lobby. A true Renaissance man, Chad Pergram. <laughs> Thanks so much. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, the door has closed on the primary election season. New Hampshire, Rhode Island and Delaware had the final say. So what did the results tell us about the general election ahead? Ryan Schmelz and Fox News Radio political analyst Josh Crossauer look ahead to November. And next week, House Republicans are expected to unveil the agenda they plan to pursue if they win back the majority. Jessica Rosenthal talks with one of the lawmakers who helped put that plan together. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 